Seeing by Moonlight, a novel by M. F. Thomas and Nicholas Thurkettle, read by Thomas Viborg Thune. Cal Garacti did him the gentleman's courtesy of watching the ball down to its resting place before responding. Although Cal claimed the handicap of eleven, Alex had already heard the scuttlebutt around Silverland that he played more like an eight, but had stopped submitting scores years ago in order to hustle people. It wasn't so much about a petty form of dominance it allowed Cal, as it was a test of the deference someone like Alex was willing to demonstrate by not pointing it out. Cal enjoyed the perception of great authority and influence. He practically glowed with the inner knowledge that he was going to be personally responsible for putting Senator John McCain in the White House in the year 2000, just like many of the other lawyers and entrepreneurs who lived and golfed at Silverland. That's what they named the color, Fun Yellow. They made less than 150 of them. Cal had been talking about BMWs for the last three holes. Specifically, the BMW Z1, a dandy little roadster you couldn't legally drive on public roads in America. And for the same reasons that Cuban cigars tasted better, Cal Garacti wanted a Z1. Two, actually. One for the wife, but she could have the more common red one. Cal's heart keened for fun yellow. And there was a collector-slash-philanthropist in Munich who had the two he sought and was open to selling. BMWs were not Alex's line. Only three had dropped into his lap over the last five years, and they had not stayed long. Their reputation as marvels of German engineering made them easy sales. But he would have to be deaf and dumb not to sense the true purpose of the conversation. To Cal Garacti, Alex was the guy who knew cars. And right now, he needed a guy who knew cars to realize his dreams. Sharing a round of golf was a better professional credential for Alex than two letters of recommendation. Just like with a customer on the lot, he knew Cal already wanted to buy. All he needed was that decisive encouragement. As they strolled down the fairway, Alex made his case. Well, I'll tell you straight, Cal. I've never done an import... I imagine customs can give you hell on the ones that aren't street legal. But I do know Germany. I was actually born there. Still speak the language. He paused to let Cal process this pleasant surprise. Now, I don't know what the spit-shine version of this would be that some professional outfit would give you. But I could be on a plane tomorrow morning, be in Munich first thing Thursday, and be calling you twice a day with updates, like you've got a baby on the way. He was out on a limb, but learning how to import prized cars from Europe would be a handsome profession for a Silverland resident, a real step-up from used car salesman. 
This was one of those track-switching moments in whose existence he fervently believed. One that was worth a lot of poker chips. Cal's grin, set against his tan, was impossibly white. That's a hell of a proposal, son. He said he would think it over, and contact Alex after lunchtime, then showed pro forma humility, in hoping that would be enough time to make the necessary travel arrangement, should he say yes. But Alex knew he would say yes, and by the next hole, all talk of BMWs was ended. Instead, Cal wanted to talk about the great senator John McCain. It was a beautiful day on the course. The coach whips had soaked up that summer storm of a couple of weeks ago and were blooming in riotous scarlet. At one thirty, the clock on the living room wall made the call of the house barrow, a pert, chatty whistle. For twenty years, that cheap clock had outlasted all of the other gadgets and toys Alex had given his mother. He could smell the fresh Stoichelkuchen she was pulling from the kitchen oven. For the moment, the sparrow call was the only conversation. Soon his mother brought in the fresh cake on a serving tray with coffee. With two proud strokes, she sliced off a full quarter of it, placed it on a plate, and set it before Alex. Only then, leaning back in her faded chair, did she smile, a crinkled, beaming grin. Unlike most of Mesa's residents, her complexion was still light, and it gave her skin a papery texture. Like her natural grey hair, it was age not hidden, but worn without apology. At one forty-five, the house sparrow would chirp again only not for as long. Alex knew this. He cleared his throat and picked up the plate. You know this isn't good for me. I do not know anyone for whom cake is not good. Diabetics. Mother snorted. Eat your cake. It is real butter, much better for you than that stuff they make. Alex acquiesced to the cake and her persistent smile. Her smile moved all the wrinkles on her face and drew your eyes to the way they mapped a long life. Her wrinkles curved down and up in equal measure, as if to describe a life that had once been deeply troubled and sad, but had turned around and after one day was nothing but happiness ever again. Or maybe it was the other way around. She and Alex looked enough alike that his adoption in Germany almost never rated mention outside the black-and-white government paperwork, dusting the schools and offices he had passed through in his life. The cake was delicious. It had been delicious for thirty years. Mom, there's something I've never understood. Yes, my dear? You learned to cook after we came to America. You nearly burned that kitchen down so many times. 
I remember uncle helping you learn scrambled eggs. Why did you learn all these German recipes? Because you were a lovely little boy who needed to eat and grow strong. Alex Pike, new resident of Silverland Village, shrunk into the couch. Mom! Oh, Alex, where did my kind and sensitive boy go? Alex hated it when his mother reminded him of this. School had not been easy for him. He never knew why, but he cried more than the other boys. It wasn't when he was afraid or embarrassed. Those were signals anyone on the schoolyard could understand. But a feeling would surge on him like a wind, and he would just cry. Or he would feel a blast of joy when swinging on the middle swing of the swing set. Always and only the middle swing. So potent it would leave him breathless. Often then, too, he would end up in tears. He'd earned many nicknames, none of them kind. His mother was the only one who missed that Alex. The only one. I may be going to Germany tomorrow. His mother's eyes bugged from her head. How do you say this? Like this? You may go to Germany tomorrow? Like you may stop at the park on the way home or try a new brand of beer? She'd picked up an arm cover from the chair and was apprehensively kneading it in her fingers. Alex had expected surprise had even wanted it, he admitted to himself. He had wanted to give her a hard reminder of his adulthood and independence, and he had certainly done that. But her sudden fear made him queasy, and he felt one hundred percent responsible for it. Why would you go? Why? Alex made a false start at speaking, exhaled, felt a wave of hot pressure in his head. She just kept fretting, kept squeezing at that arm cover. It's, uh, work, to buy a pair of cars. I won't be gone long. Two weeks at the most. I'm not leaving, Mom. She sniffed, composed herself. I know, I know. Forgive my reaction, old foolish sentiment. Forget it. And now Alex was wholly her son again. Are you sure? Because you seem upset. She shook her head sharply, twice in each direction. Tell me if you have met a girl, Alex. I am still wanting to be a grandmama. He laughed reflexively, helplessly. I meet girls all the time. Yet the kind you do not volunteer to tell your mother about. She took a hand off her coffee cup and waggled a finger at him. Do not think uncle does not tell me tales of what you get up to. I don't think he's telling you everything. I know that also. That you do not tell your mother means you know what you do is not right. You are a nice man. You can be a good man. A woman who is right for you will see this. She leaned forward now and sawed off another block of Stoichelkuchen, dropping it in his empty plate. I couldn't eat another bite. 
Then you take it with you. Wait, I will wrap it up. I told you I'm going to Germany tomorrow. And as it always did, the sparrow called at one forty-five. What's funny is that I'd been thinking of home. Dr. O'Leal's pen stopped scratching for a moment, and he looked up from his well-educated doodling. You called it home. Do you think of Germany as home? Alex made a sound, somewhere between a snort and a quiet growl. He knew it was the therapist's job to be ahead of his patients. It didn't mean he liked admitting when it happened. I don't mean like that. This is my home. I'm very American, you know. When I'm in a sports bar, I feel like it was invented for me. You just uh, find yourself wondering where you came from? Sure. Once in a while. Alex saw that he had not, in spite of his fears, just been thrown in a Freudian briar patch. Right, just once in a while. And like I said, I'd been thinking about it for the last couple of days, and then this offer comes up out of the blue. This is a perfectly understandable feeling, particularly given your adoption. Most adoptees never quite stop wondering where they came from. Alex bobbed his head eagerly. Dr. Leal pressed on. So, are you excited to go? Alex looked up to the ceiling, took this question seriously. I mean, I am, for work and to see the place, all of that. And it's like a holiday, but it feels like it's, uh, yes. Well, you ever get that feeling before a storm, where it's like there's just a little wind in the air, like any normal day, but somehow... You can feel underneath it like there's a gale that's going to hit you. Dr. Leal smiled. That's very descriptive. I like it. Yes, I think I know what you mean. Alex wrinkled his brow and continued. Well, it's been a busy week. I moved into Silverland Village not long ago. Had a couple of good days on the lot, met a lady... And as soon as this Germany thing came up, it just felt like it fit in, like they were all part of the same wind. I think this could mean a big change in my career. You'd like that? Oh, sure. Importing would be great for me. I feel like I'd fit right into it. Dr. Leal finished whatever he was producing on his pad with a sharp line. Well, then. It sounds like you are anticipating a career change, and it is past time for it to happen. You might even say your desire made it happen. Alex just laughed. Maybe so. Worked on the lady anyway, didn't it? The doctor had a second opportunity to comment on Alex's prowling, and for the second time let it pass. Any new dreams? Alex had been seated on the couch, leaning forward, arms clasped in front of him, 
just two fellas talking. Now, as if to underline the shift in gears, he turned and lay back on the couch, smiling. Do you ever get bored with this? Well, Alex, when you check the plugs on one of your cars, does the car ever say, this again? If it ever does, you'll be the first to hear about it. Alex had a message waiting for him at the dealership from Cal Garakti. As he predicted, all systems were go, and Cal had even left the number of his travel agent. Even if Cal's agent was less skilled than one Alex could find on his own, he was going to use Cal's. He had a passport, but it had only been stamped for Canada. Come to think of it, he couldn't swear to whether it was in his safe or one of a set of drawers. He looked out the window at the diminishing daylight, and for a moment the list of logistical tasks ahead daunted him. But he took a breath, looked up to the ceiling, and whistled the opening bars of something that was sung by either the Temptations or the Four Tops. Pete took the mission of keeping the manager's chair warm with a glimmer of zest. Alex suspected Pete had a list, either written down or just rehearsed in the mind, of ways he could do things better given the chance. Like most lists of ideas, a quarter would never be tried, half would lead to disaster, and the remainder would either boil down to a matter of preference or possibly be damned useful. Alex looked forward to reviewing the results on his return. The travel agent found him an early flight out of Phoenix Sky Harbor that would give him a chance at a meal in Chicago before the long night's transit to Munich. Alex wanted to get on the road for home, to program his VCR and find an early bed, but pulled a few cards from his Rolodex and called a library for their closing hours before he did. An hour of research and a couple of phone calls to people in the trade could stamp out quite a few early mistakes. Dinner, which he picked up on the last leg home, was something forgettable with sauce. Wednesday, August 4, 1999 Alex let his mind and eyes drift as he sat by his gate at the airport. The food court was nearby and the greasy odors of Americanized cuisines of many cultures wafted into the terminal. The coffee in Alex's hand was as much a numbing agent for his nose as a stimulant. Families were here this morning, dads in awful shorts, moms in awful visors, kids in awful moods. Alex wondered if he could make a game out of guessing if there was infidelity in the marriage, and if so, which, if there was only one, spouse was going about it. He recognized a man to whom he had sold a light pickup truck three or four or five years ago. He breathed in more of his coffee, 
And then, in a surprise that snapped his brain back into focus, he recognized Uncle Herbert striding urgently through the terminal, directly towards him. When Uncle reached Alex, Alex had scarcely moved, just shifted into a posture of incredulity. But first Uncle did not speak, just held up a hand to request a moment's oxygen. In that hand was a scrap of paper. In the other was a small wooden case closed by the tiniest of fasteners. At last Uncle spoke. Your mother. She told me you were from Munich. Yes, everyone seems awfully excited about it. Uncle paused, considering his answer. No, it is good. You should see Germany now. The stories I hear. But I am glad that I caught you so that I could ask you a favor. First he gave Alex the slip of paper. It had an address consisting of a German word of typically flamboyant size and a name. Uncle repeated it out loud. Wecker. If he is still alive, he will still have his small shop south of the train station. They could not burn him out of that place. Uncle handed over the box. He makes pipes. Alex opened the case and inside was a handsome old pipe of polished dark wood with a long, elegant stem and silver accents. It looked like a rich source of pleasure. Alex could imagine the smell of it, though it held no leaf. I want you to tell me you will take this to his shop and present it to him, and you will tell this man, Vecker, Tell him some of his handiwork is coming home. Do you understand? Alex grinned. Uncle, you know I'm not supposed to carry strange packages onto an airplane. Uncle laughed. It is too early for you to be this funny, but you will take it to him? Alex nodded, ran his finger one last time across the pipe's bowl, then shut the case. I am taking something of Germany away. It is only right I should bring something of it with me. Yes, and make some time to meet a German girl, a nice big one. If you do not make time for this, I will be very disappointed in you. The resumption of their old banter brought Alex back around and he tucked the box under his coat on the seat next to him and rose to give Uncle a solid hug. The boarding announcement came soon after, and Alex shuffled on board in the slow line of travelers, settled into his seat, and listened to the plane's engines hum up to full confidence. Seeing by Moonlight A novel by M. F. Thomas and Nicholas Thurkettle Read by Thomas Vyborg Thune.